Hello and welcome to Versify, the Poetry and English Literature podcast. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on, um, I don't know what number episode this is, to be honest. Um, I, I'd say we're heading towards 20. I wouldn't uh, be able oh, to we're say... We're way over 20, aren't we, now? We're over 20? Must okay. be. Yeah, I think you said we were heading towards 20 about 10 episodes ago, I reckon. Okay, all right. I'm I'm not a professional mathematician. I reckon that means we're heading towards roughly 30. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, the voices you've heard... I'm going to count them now while you're doing your spiel. Carry on. All right. Well, well, don't don't be counting them too long because my spiel amounts to saying the voices uh, that you've just heard are uh, two people joining me on the pod today. Uh, That is uh, Robin. Hello, I am Robin. (laughs) And David. Hello, David. (laughs) Hello. That's me. I I shouldn't worry about counting our our past... uh, a pod right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to count them out loud. I'll just tell you the number once I've, you know, arrived at it in my head. Well, that's this is like Alfred Hitchcock. He's shown the bomb under the table, and any subsequent discussion is done with a sort of anticipatory expectation on the part of the audience about at some point you're just going to leap in and scream a random number by your own lights, presumably between twenty and thirty. Um, Thank you very much for joining us uh, today. Um, 28. 28, really? So this is number 28. Okay, well, that's that's a fun fact. Um, We, uh, our last podcast was about Christmas. (laughs) That's right. Um, And uh, that's been, uh, seems like a long time ago now. Uh, although it is still pretty cold here, so we've uh, had a little bit of ice out on the downs this morning. Gentlemen, um, any notes on our Christmas uh, podcast? Rob? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. Thank you. David? <laughs> yeah, as you say, yeah, I'm, I'm all in favour of drawing a line and moving on. So. What, I, what I would say is that over Christmas, I did have the occasion to listen to some of our podcasts for the first time. Uh, really a lot of them for the first time uh, at least since I edited them out oh, I, I enjoyed them I, I think um, I think they're quite good <laughs> well that's that's high end podcasting that, there Rob that's yeah. one for the poster that isn't it yeah <laughs> I, I enjoy this podcast I, I was it's listening to my podcasters. podcast and it was amazing I mean David and I are actually joking before the pod because um We've probably said this before many times, uh, but it has become a sort of bit of a cliche of modern life, hasn't it, here in England and probably in other parts of the world as well, that um, where's your husband? Oh, he's off doing his podcast in the other room. But I think you've taken it to the next level where your your, your comment uh, on the podcast is how great your own podcast is yeah. when you listen back well, to no, it. Well, most of them I'd never listened to. Uh, so oh, I, I, I just had them. I put it. I put one on. Um, I can't really think why. And I think I actually wanted to find something out. Yeah, what was it I was looking for? I was looking for something that I thought like I'd read a poem, and I was like, "Oh, that's Jermaine." I know what it was. I know what it was. It was because it was because the um, it was about the Philip. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's boring. It was about the, <laughs> the, the Larkin, the Larkin <laughs> stuff. It was about the Larkin, the Larkin yeah. thing, and then the Wendy Cope. There was a Wendy Cope one that was about Mr. Blaney's, wasn't there? And it was like, mm. anyway, I, I tried to untangle all that in my mind by listening to the Wendy Cope one. And then once I did listen to that one, I listened to a few more. Not all of them, obviously. Um, I listened back to the John Dunn one oh, yeah. a little while ago, which is, obviously we did that one a long time ago. One of the early funny ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, the reason, well, for some reason, I found myself doing it in order to try to find what I think was the, the historically the first example of an F-bomb on our, on our podcast. Um, it came about because uh, it's, it's really made me think. I need. We need to. Because John game. Dunn is such a potty mouth. Yeah. 
it made me think we need to up our games Dan because it, it turns out yeah, Rob is the sweary one and he's the cool one and we, we don't ever say anything like that at all because a friend of mine who's a recent-ish convert to the pod uh, Jeanette uh, her new favourite thing is to predict when Rob's first F-bomb will be <laughs> Oh my god! Well, this is like a second bomb under the table. I love the Hitchcock um, mm. uh, analogy. An yeah. F bomb under the well, table. Now yeah. I know. Don't drop it that, too soon, Rob. Yeah, now that I know that I've got Jeanette on tenterhooks, yeah. I might wait till you know the 120th minute. Um, I just that just reminds me that we've had an email from a fella. Uh, not you've already heard it, but um, oh, what was his name? Oh shit! He was from Toronto. <laughs> Hang on, let me search my email. You got to, you got to find his name. Yeah. What, do you want me to fill while you're? Yeah, you, you, yeah, Alan Harrison. That's his name. Let me read this poet. Okay. This, let me read this out. We've had a bit of feedback. Um, he says, hi, fellas, I'll redact a bit. He said, I came across your podcast recently while trying to find out more about R.S. Thomas, who the listener will remember is the Welsh vicar who wrote, uh, uh, well, a poetry for about 40, 50 years or something. Um, and mm. we did an episode on him about um, a year or so ago. Uh, in the episode, one of you mentioned how unlikely it would be that anyone would discover the podcast while searching for Thomas. Well, here I am, he says. I also heard in another pod that for a period of time, Thomas was reading Wallace Stevens exclusively. Would you consider doing an episode on Stevens? Let me jump in there, Alan, and say we definitely have and are actively contemplating a Wallace Stevens uh, pod. So stay tuned for that. He's one of my favourite poets. And if you're not already familiar, I think you'll like him too. I think I probably will. I, I, I have got, I'm looking forward to that pod already. I've, I've got a Wallace Stevens book somewhere, funnily yeah. enough. Yeah, me too. It's, a bit, it's an, excellent, um, an excellent suggestion. Oh, and if I can extend that request to a particular poem, it would be Domination of Black. I'd say, don't push your luck, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see what we can do. Well, I'd just like to jump in and say thank you very much, Alan, for, for taking the time to send that email. Very kind of you. He's, he's sending that from Toronto. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, look, thanks very much for getting in, in, in touch, Alan. Um, sorry I didn't get back to you yet on the email, but I thought this would be a, a way of saying thank you and assuring you that Wallace Stevens is definitely on the list. And I think it's fair to say that you've nudged him higher than he's ever been before. On that, on the list, yeah, on the yeah. list. Uh, so, For sure, as I say, stay tuned. Nice. Uh, anyway, back to you, Dan. Sorry to just jump in there with a non sequitur. No, well, it's hardly a non sequitur. I mean, feedback from uh, our listeners uh, is extremely welcome. Uh, uh, thank you, again, to Alan. Um, guys, we're going to be talking uh, this afternoon in the pod about um, a, a former poet laureate, um, a famous poet in in, in England, Caroline Duffy. And I'm looking forward to moving on uh, to some of her poetry, which we'll be tackling in a moment. Uh, of course, uh, you will know, uh, if you are a regular listener, that uh, prior to that, we generally have a quiz uh, section. I, uh, I I hope that David and Robin have, have, have quiz questions prepared. I suspect David does, because he's generally well-prepared to quizzer. Uh, Rob, do you have a quiz question uh, ready I, to rumble? I do have a question. Uh, I suspect you probably know the answer if you've got even had read even a biographical sketch of uh, uh, Caroline Duffy. I, I should I should think that David and I have both read what is it, in fact a very short Wikipedia entry it, on yeah, oh, yeah you've got to go deeper than, um, than Wikipedia. But I, I presume in your case, Rob, that is all you have read. So why don't you go first, Rob, <laughs> and hit us up with your question? <laughs> I would go one step further, Dan, and say that I have found everything I know about Caroline Duffy out in the last six minutes, <laughs> uh, starting about two two minutes after you rang that gong. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Caroline Duffy, aged uh, 16, fell in with a well-known British poet in, uh, in his, at that point, early 30s and uh, lived 
uh, with him, uh, had a relationship with him for about 10 years, from about 1972 to 1982, and uh, who was the poet uh, who uh, had a long relationship with, uh, or decades worth of relationship with Carol Ann Duffy. I think I know. How long have you known this, David? Mm, I think it's one of these things I sort of vaguely knew ages ago, and then I, yeah, in a bit of research recently, saw it again. Unless I've got it wrong, of course. No, no. Um, But what I would say is, you know, one of the things about doing the pod is obviously finding out stuff. And sometimes, you know, when it's a poet that one doesn't know much about or whatever, or doesn't know their work, um, you know, it's easily forgettable. But I am never going to forget this fact. And I also can't believe I didn't know it. The answer, of course, to your question, Rob, is the beat poet, Adrian Henry, (laughs) who was the sort of godfather of the beat scene. But this is a the, very the, weird the, the story. The Liverpool beat scene, to be redundantly clear, yeah. The Liverpool uh, beat scene, uh, uh, one of the three, the Troika, uh, 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 who, who, who are in the Mersey Beats, um, which is a very, very famous um, book of poetry, came out in, I think, 69, is that right, Rob? Mm, I thought a trifle earlier than that. Could have been 69, yeah. It's another Could one, have been earlier. Another one on the shortlist, isn't it, I would say? Yeah, it's, <laughs> along with Roger McGough and Brian Patton, they were the Mersey Beats, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's worth saying that, um, you know, we we were big fans of that book when we were younger teenagers. um, I think I've said on the pod before, that was the one one book that that we really really took to in a big way, yeah. Yeah, and well, I mean, I've got my answer to to, to why that was, but why do you think that was, Rob? Why was it such a big... Yeah, why did we like that? I mean, we didn't didn't read any other poetry, did we, really? No, we just read those aloud giggling um, late into the night on a regular basis. Uh, I think because they were very, very funny and... I don't know, it was like, to me, it seemed like the epitome of cool when I was about 16, 17. Um, I mean, they they were short, by and large. The line length tended to be very short and irregular. Um, The diction was very accessible. Um, and the ideas, as you say, were, were funny and slightly surreal often and dazzling. Yeah, that book was called The Mersey Sound, by the way. Oh, that, sorry, The Mersey, yeah, the Mersey Sound. Sound. Great correction. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But when I learnt, it was only today, that Carol Ann Duffy... 1967, by the way. 67. Yeah. Had lived with Adrian Henry for 10 years. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that's that's quite a connection. I mean, that's not just like I'm, I, I've, I'm vaguely aware of the beat poets, is it? No, no, no. He, he's a, he was. I, mean, I think I've said this before on this pod. That I had an Adrian Henry poem read at my, at my, uh, in the church at my wedding. Yeah, you know. he's he's obviously this huge, this huge big poet. But also, and again, um, you know, times have changed. But from what I could work out from Wikipedia, um, and David, maybe you can weigh in on this. He was born in 1932. Yeah. Um, so he's like, she's born in 1955. Um, she's 16, so he's like 39, and then she moves in with him as a 16-year-old. Yeah, no, that's right. He'd have been in his mid to late 30s, wouldn't he? Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, I will admit that I, my eyes slightly widened at that. Do, do you know anything more about this story, David? David? Um, no, I, I wish I did. I wish I could fill you in on all kinds of details. Oh, yeah, he's 23 years her senior. You're right, he'd have been 39, yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit sketchy. I mean, also, it does... It, I mean, Adrian Henry's poem... Does contain quite a lot of references to schoolgirls. I mean, I'll mention, <laughs> I'll mention that in passing. Did we agree that Adrian Henry was probably the inspiration for Jason Strugnall? 
Uh, well, no, in one of the struggle poems, the Wendy Cope poems, one of them was very, yeah. very clearly based on Adrian Henry. Uh, I think it was called Struggle in Liverpool or something when we read mm. it. Okay. Um, and it was clearly a riff on um, Adrian Henry. Well, one of them may have been, although just back to Cope and Strugnall, I, I rather felt that Strugnall was more of a, uh, you know, not quite published poet, whereas Adrian Henry has been a luminary. No, but I think of... I think Strugnall is 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 a character that Cope used to to um, to riff on various other poets and contemporaries of hers. So Strugnall was more of a kind of a character mm. that could be repurposed mm. to satirise various different poetic styles. So I think Strugnall and Liverpool. Is, 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 is Henry, is Henry right? whereas Strugnall elsewhere might be other poets. Yeah, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we we don't know much more, but I mean, only I mean, suffice to say that if you if you you know, <laughs> thank you as a, as I said before, listener for joining us on this podcast. And I think if you if you if you've heard that fact and you didn't know it already, um, and you're interested in Caroline Duffy, um, to know that she's so uh, intimately linked with the the Mersey sound um, of Adrian Henry. Uh, d- definitely sheds a hugely interesting light to me. And in fact, I, I don't think I can, I mean, obviously, since, since, since that, I've, I've read through a few of her poems today. I now can't read them without that thought in my mind. I'm like, wow, this is, I mean, I'm sure Caroline Duffy would not probably accept that. She'd be said, well, I mean, yeah, that was a long time ago. I've moved on as a poet and so on. But that kind of impetus, that whole kind of um, revolutionary 60s ethos Evidently, she she was a huge a huge part of. It's got it's got shades of um, you know Courtney Love when she was about that age, she hung out in Liverpool with um, like Julian Cope and that. I thought you were going to say Kenny Dalglish. <laughs> <laughs> Graham Souness. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then Hughes. Yeah. Um, Is it Terry McDermott. <laughs> <laughs> Should we leave it there? Yeah, uh, let's leave it with, yeah, with, with Julie Clope, the yeah, teardrop explodes and that kind of, all that movement as well, uh, before, you know, finding her own sort of voice later on. It right. strikes me as right. a slightly interesting kind of parallel. Yeah, people have interesting backstories, and that's definitely an interesting, an interesting backstory. Or, an origin story, virtually, since she was only 16. Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting Although had apparently been writing poetry on and off since she was 11. So she was... But I mean, if she if she moved in with him in seventy one, seventy two, this sort of time, I mean, that was when they were at their absolute. Oh, that was at the peak of his powers for sure. Yeah, yeah. he would Absolutely. have been. He would have been a huge celebrity poet at yeah. that point. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, the um... the, the cultural footprint left by the um, Mersey Sound poets, is, other than Roger McGough, I guess, has been relatively minor. But in nineteen seventy one, it would have been, mm. it would have been huge. Yeah, and and those poet poems probably. You know, to be honest, because they 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 had a, a sense of modernity and novelty about them. You know, a teenager today might, you know, to some extent, what's the fuss about? Whereas I think when we were reading, they still had a kind of a slightly revolutionary freshness about them. Perhaps think, they still do. I, I think don't that's know. right. Yeah. Well, they kind yeah. of they were kind of pop art in a way, weren't they? They had a kind of pop art yeah. sensibility insofar as there's a lot of references to. You know, I think we said this before about Omo and you know referencing mm. people's you know mm. you know talking about the Paul McCartney in a poem written in 1967 and you know and and uh, yeah well, long, long, long list isn't there one of one famous poem um, yeah Gustav Mahler Gustav yeah. Klimt etc yeah. etc yeah. Yeah. yeah what's the uh, what's your question my question yeah I'm looking forward to this how did you describe yeah. it again in the pre-pod chat it was fuck it was fucking something. He said, it, he said it was going to crush us like a beetle on a windshield or something, didn't he? It was a quite a big claim made. I forget exactly what it was. Well, I, I have actually been an- anxious about, about one element of it because you're going to be taking it in turns Ooh. and it is, it's going to be a full-on penalty shootout. Loving it. Oh, yeah. 
and I think whoever goes first is going to have an advantage. I, I think, think I'm going to go first. I think I said, but I? but it could be that whoever goes second is definitely going to win if they can sort of pull off an interesting feat. And you're saying I should have the first two goes? <laughs> well, I was thinking I could hold... I've got a badge here. I'm going to put it in either my right or my left hand. So why don't I do oh. that? I've, I've got it in one of my hands now. Why don't we let David choose? Do you want David right hand or the left hand? Left. OK, that doesn't have the badge in it, which means Robin has the choice. Robin, do you want to go first or second? I'll go first. OK. It's pretty straightforward. One of you will come out the winner. <laughs> one of you will go home. <laughs> Sans Coupe du Monde. Um, okay. Uh, starting with the current Poet Laureate and going back in, you know, reverse chronological order, let's see how we get on. So, uh, Robin, I believe you're going first, is that right? Mm, yeah. So you are placing the ball now. The goalkeeper is on the line. Who is the current Poet Laureate? Uh, that's Simon Armitage. Back of the net, turns to the crowd. <laughs> David, up you come. Caroline Duffy. <sighs> Panenka. <laughs> <laughs> Rob. Uh, Ooh, four. Caroline Duffy. Andrew Motion. Oh, bollocks. Hit the bar and went in. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Hit the bar. David, up you come. Uh, that will be Ted Hughes. Astonishing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pace and power. That was a sheer esque Rob. Oh, no. His legs, his legs, you can see, he looks nervous. Has he ever taken John, a penalty John, before John, in a competitive John, match? John Betjeman? It's John Betjeman! Come Unbelievable. on! Unbelievable! <laughs> Sent the keeper the wrong way with the eyes. Now David really does look nice. This is where it gets tough, but I think, I reckon I know this. I've picked my spot, let's put it this way. I'm going top left. Is it Cecil Day-Lewis? Oh my oh, God! I knew that one! <laughs> He's a master. So uh... cool, so calm. Under pressure. I think that's it. Uh, You're not coming back from that. <laughs> In fact, I don't even know. Before C. Day Lewis. Don't Before C. Day Lewis. That's not acceptable. Oh, God, this is difficult. Um, oh, it's. Oh. Hmm. You'd have thought you might have known. You, you would have thought, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's not going to be one of those. Spender Orden cats. It's going to be some with some some square John, some square John. Okay. Do you want a Do you want a clue? <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah, I'd love a little clue, a little cheeky clue. Yeah. Either Mum or Nan met this guy when he came to the island, the island <gasps> dogs. Oh no! Oh, they're, they're, oh, it's um, it's uh, I'm still not going to get it. Mum did. I don't know the guy's name though. Yeah, I know the story. Um. Nope. Okay, I think we'll. we'll, we'll, we'll uh, that's also not much of a clue for the listener, is it? No, it um, really isn't. Yeah, put me out of misery. For the listener's benefit, this is um, Quinque Rim of Nineveh, uh, etc., etc. Um, uh, David, do you want to show off your further knowledge, or have you had? Uh, no, I've been racking my brains. John Macefield. Uh, Macefield. And get this, guys. Bollocks. Macefield was poet laureate for thirty-seven years. Mm. He, he 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 was from. 1930 up to 1967. I mean, that's quite a transit of literary time, isn't it? It is. Who's the longest serving as well, right? Did Ten I reckon Tennyson did it. For it was Tennyson. We think we found that out on the Tennyson podcast, wasn't it? Mm. He was poet laureate forever. Tennyson was 42 years. Well, well done, David. You take home today's coupe de poétique. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, brilliant. That was a good one. Right, my one. 
Um, I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to stick with football. I've got a couple of possibilities here because I thought that you might know this one straight away. Uh, what is the connection between Caroline Duffy and Kenny Dalglish? <laughs> <laughs> well, they both lived in Liverpool. <laughs> and Stafford Rangers, a non-league football team that plays, I believe, in the Northern Premier League. Um, I do know the answer because I read the Wikipedia page about Caroline <laughs> Rob, do you know the answer? No, no idea, mate. Oh, was this on the Wikipedia page? I didn't see it there. Oh. Um, well, anyway, yeah, sorry, go on. What's, what's the answer? So, um, well, this is another thing that interested me about Caroline Duffy as well. I've often heard this thing about her being Scottish. And, of course, she was born in um, Glasgow in uh, 1955. But she moved um, to Stafford in when she was six and went to school in Stafford, went to grammar school in Stafford and, 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 and I don't know what happened. Then she, she went to university, she obviously went to Liverpool because she went to live with Adrian Henry and she, she studied a philosophy degree at Liverpool University. So although she's Scottish, which obviously if you're born in Scotland and you, you, know, you live there to your six, you, you are Scottish, I'm not denying that, but um, she in fact grew up in Stafford which is um, a very pretty market town in the Midlands. Um, uh, and her father, um, who was a Labour parliamentary, prospective parliamentary, well, he was a parliamentary candidate, was also the manager of Stafford Rovers. Is that the answer, David? Well, it's ne- it nearly is, because uh, I think ah. he's actually the manager of Stafford Rangers. Ah, oh. But right. I, 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 the post. But I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did say Stafford Rangers in the question. <laughs> I reckon we can probably accept that. Yes, he was. I think that's a brilliant fact. Personally. I've just been perusing the, uh, the Wikipedia page here. Regarding her relationship with Adrian Henry, it says, uh, she, she said, um, he gave me confidence, she said. He was great. It was all poetry, very heady, and he was never faithful. He thought poets had a duty to be unfaithful. Jeez. <laughs> Is that what it really says? Yeah, that's her quote. Yeah. Wow. Are you sure you've read that right? I'm absolutely sure I've read that right. I mean, I, I, it's only off Wikipedia. So, you know. Wow. He was never faithful. Jeez. So amazing stuff. That moves us on to our final section before we uh, dive into the first poem, which is, um, Rob, why don't you crack on? What do you know about Caroline Duffy? How has she intersected with your life? Well, this is even more, I mean, I always say this, but I mean, even more than usual, I know very little about Caroline Duffy, which I find absolutely shocking. I mean, I've no, obviously I know her name. I know she was the Poet Laureate, and yet for some reason or another, one of her books has never fallen open on my lap. So I just have never really read, knowingly, anything she's written. So I'm very eager to find out a little bit more. I went yesterday and bought her new selected poems, 1984 to 2004, which is currently open on my lap. But I only bought it yesterday, so I haven't really had a chance to peruse it in any... Did you get that from Camilla's? Yeah, yeah. You bought her new selected poems for yesterday from Yesterday Camillus. morning, first thing, just before you could turn up and sweep oh, in and buy it. Oh, did you, yeah. you little swine? I got there at about yeah. half twelve. What time were you there? Oh, about 12 o'clock, yeah. <laughs> were you, really? No, I was there basically 10, 10, 10 10.05, shortly after. Oh, were you? Yeah. I thought it was a bit strange, OK, that there wasn't more Duffy. You'd already yeah. been in. I'd swooped, mate, yeah. OK. Pre-swooped. I'm eager to find out more. One thing, um, maybe uh, before we go over to David, and maybe David can shed some light on, is as I was looking at the cover of, because I did buy a book in Camilla's, I bought Sincerity, which is her new 2018, I say new, it's her, it's her 2018 collection in hardback, which I thought was a nice, nice buy. And did, I did, did, you, did you buy the one that was five quid or the one that was four quid? It was one four and one five, really? Yeah. 
yeah. I bought the five quid one. Oh, you mug. <laughs> you mug. You mug. You bought a, a five quid Duffy. You mug. Um, yeah. But on the front it says Carol Ann Duffy. And I was wondering whether it's, do you think it's Carol Ann Duffy? Like a country and western singer. Do you hey, know what I mean? like, Carol Ann. Like it's Carol Ann. It's Carol Ann in here. Playing. You know, can you get Carol Ann? Or is it Carol Ann Duffy? David. What's your knowledge of Carol Ann Duffy? <laughs> or is it Carol Ann Duffy? I reckon she answers to Carol, but I don't really? know. I, mean, I, I, I honestly don't know. Is it not? I mean, presumably, is it is it hyphenated? That's the crucial no, question. It's not. It's not though. No. No, it's, it's not. not it's not hyphenated. hyphenated. Yeah, I can confirm. Mm. So yeah, it's like a middle name thing, isn't it? Um, I presume. Anyway, can you imagine if she does ever listen to this, and she'd be just thinking, "They don't even know my <laughs> name. <laughs> they can't. They keep calling me." Caroline Duffy, what's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know a lot about. I have taught a few Caroline Duffy poems. She is uh, a bit of a mainstay on the on the syllabus. Has been for a good few years now. Um, but I don't know much about her. Obviously, we've discussed a bit about her sort of early life, early years. Um, yeah, I knew she was born in Glasgow. I know she's Catholic, or, but now atheist, I believe. And um, and also interestingly, uh, uh, we talked about her relationship with Henry, but she's you know famously gay. Um, she is uh, a lesbian, has been for you know, most of her life as well. So there's that. But that's about it. She is, as you say, a mainstay of um, of the GCSE, um, uh, or certainly certainly was perhaps more so um, a few years ago than now. But um, yeah, I mean, she 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 was sort of yeah, big big name pair, and I always thought she was, I always thought her work was was good, but today and you know over the last few days we've been talking about doing it, it's given given me an opportunity to sort of think a bit more about her her work. As I said earlier, already on this pod, I was I was quite dazzled by her beat connection. Um, oh, by the way, she published a, po- a, a she co-wrote a book of poetry with Adrian Henry in 1977 called Beauty and the Beast. I see here. She co-wrote a book with Adrian Henry in 1977 19... called Beauty okay. and the Beast. It was her second published work after Flesh, Weathercock and Other Poems from 1974. Yeah. Um... Um, I think we normally say a bit of bi- biography of the poet that we, we know as well. Um, and two things have just occurred to me based on that little thing we were saying about her former works. She's, she's written quite a few plays, I think, um, none of which I have to say I, I, I've seen. Um, and she is also a professor of poetry or, or something adjacent, um, you would think poetry, to at um, Manchester Metropolitan University. I believe that is her professorship, cool. whether she still holds cool. that to this day uh, as we speak in January 23. Uh, I do not know, but uh, that's certainly where she, she has been. The Grammar of Light by Caroline Duffy. Even barely enough light to find a mouth and bless both with a meaningless O, teaches, spells out. The way a curtain opened at night lets in neon or moon or a car's hasty glance and paints for a moment someone you love, pierces. And so many mornings to learn, some when the day is wrung from damp grey skies and rooms come on for breakfast in the town you are leaving early. The way a waste ground weeps glass tears at the end of a street. Some fluent, 
showing you how the trees in the square thinking birds telepathize. The way the waiter balances light in his hands, the coins in his pocket silver, and a young bell shines in its white tower ready to tell. Even a saucer of rain in a garden at evening speaks to the eye. Like the little fires from allotments, undressing in veils of mauve smoke as you walk home under the muted lamps perplexed. The way the shy stars go stuttering on. And at midnight, a candle next to the wine slurs its soft wax, flatters. Shadows circle the table. The way all faces blur to dreams of themselves held in the eyes. The flare of another match. The way everything dies. The Grammar of Light even barely enough light to find a mouth and bless both with a meaningless O teaches spells out. The way a curtain opened at night lets in neon or moon or a car's hasty glance and paints for a moment someone you love pierces. And so many mornings to learn, some when the day is wrung from damp grey skies and rooms come on for breakfast in the town you are leaving early, the way a waste ground weeps glass tears at the end of a street. Some fluent, showing you how the trees in the square think in birds, telepathise. The way the waiter balances light in his hands, the coins in his pocket silver, and a young bell shines in its white tower ready to tell. Even a saucer of rain in a garden at evening speaks to the eye, like the little fires from allotments undressing in veils of mauve smoke as you walk home under the muted lamps perplexed the way the shy stars go stuttering on. And at midnight, a candle next to the wine slurs its soft wax, flatters. Shadows circle the table, the way all faces blur to dreams of themselves held in the eyes. The flare of another match, the way everything dies. The grammar of light, what yeah. does that mean? <laughs> 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 it does seem like a good starting point yeah and I've spent most of the poem uh, trying to work out exactly what that is okay well there's lots of stuff to do with uh, uh, light as though it's speaking yes uh, in various different ways communicating in completely different ways for different reasons with different effects um, throughout that's my first contribution I'm putting that there as a kind of holder while someone else comes up with something cleverer. Well, I think that's right. Um, I mean, is this poem a a tour through various images connected with light? Yes, it definitely is that. It, it most definitely is that. That's, that's an unimpeachably true statement, yeah. With kind of, I wouldn't say abrupt juxtapositions, but I will say links to memories of feelings connected with these images of light that the poet or has experienced yeah yeah that sounds like a fair point it also uh, travels through the day doesn't it from morning does it from morning to evening to midnight uh, no Par stanza one the way a curtain opened at night lets in 
neon or moon or a cast hazy glance. Oh, see, then it goes. Well, start, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, it starts. Yeah, it starts at night. Starts at night back, yeah, back around full circle. Yes, it goes to evening. Yeah, you're right. It's almost it's almost like a notebook of a day's, the way the light has caught her eye, has meant something to her, has led the way, has had these various influences on her or or effects on her, and that's quite a diverse list, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. Funnily enough, some of the poems in um, Serenity, sorry, not Serenity, Sincerity, um, they they did seem, maybe it was um, just because I'd read about her connection to the Mersey, Mersey sound, they did seem quite sort of more Mersey soundish, but this, this much less so, um, much more um, considered. But still with those flashes of sort of recognisable um, images... I think the way a waste ground weeps glass tears at the end of a street is yeah. very good. Yeah. But the poem starts in this peculiar way, doesn't it? Even barely enough light to find a mouth and bless both with a meaningless O teaches, spells out. So I get the idea that this tiny, tiny amount of light, this so you're you're in this romantic situation to find a mouth. And bless both, mm-hmm. both what? Even barely enough light. So you, you're in the darkness. You're in the you're in the the, the, the darkness, but it's still enough to light to teach you and to spell something out, right? So, but it's a peculiar opening. It's already I'm thrown. Already I'm I'm. Well, it's a difficult opening, isn't it? And, and it's cryptic. It's cryptic, and on, on on first glance, considering that the other stanzas do not open as cryptically, mm. you almost feel like there was another stanza or two before this, and at some point you just thought, do you know what, I'm going to start it with with the good stanza, which is this one, mm. and sort of, I don't know, because it, there's got to be a reason for why this stanza is much more cryptic than the others, in, even down to its syntax, as you say. Even barely enough light to find a mouth. What? I'm blessed both with a meaningless O. Teaches, spells out. But maybe not. I mean, even barely enough light to find a mouth. I'm blessed both. So there's two mouths. Are they kissing? Yeah, I think so. And blessed both with a meaningless O. The O being the shape of the mouth as they kiss. Hmm? But it's but it's meaningless. The way a curtain opened at but... night. Yep, let's in neon or moon or a car's hasty glance. That's very good. I mean, it's beautiful, yeah. And paint and paints somebody with light. And paints for a moment someone, someone you, you love. love pierces. pierces. So the way a curtain opened at night lets in neon pierces. So that's a piercing. Yeah. The light is piercing, but that's different from teaches or spells out. So one yeah, but... this this first very dim light, the just enough light, barely enough light, is mm-hmm. teaching and spelling out. Mm-hmm. And this other so... kind of light is is piercing. T- t- light, light has a few tricks yeah. uh, in its repertoire. In its grammar. In its grammar. It teaches, it spells out, it pierces. Am I right in saying, and obviously I should know this, but the word grammar, what is its literal meaning? We think of it, obviously, well, t- in terms of like language, in linguistics, construction... In linguistics, the grammar of a natural language is its set of structural constraints on speakers or writers' composition of clauses, phrases, and words. The term can also refer to the study of such constraints. Right, that's that's what I was thinking. It, it, obviously, it can also it can also be a noun. It can be the the book, and an English grammar. Okay. What was the first bit you said, Rob? Because I mean, I'd agree with David. I actually don't know what the word means, really. The grammar of a natural language is its set of structural constraints on speakers or writers' composition of clauses, phrases, and words. I.e., you have to put the, 
you know, uh, adjectives That's before the noun. That's a very definition. Well, this is Wikipedia. It's not the OED. Set of structural constraints. Well, such as subject, verb, object, you know what I mean, in simple declarative sentences. Mm. You know, um, that's, that's, that's the grammar, isn't it, where you, where you put words in relation to each other. Yeah, broadly speaking, I suppose so. I mean, I guess it's one of those ones that recedes. The more you talk about it and know about it, the, the more the actual word recedes from any kind of quiddity. Yeah, but I think that what she's talking about maybe is, is more like she is writing the grammar as in the, the, the book like an English grammar, you know, uh, a grammar book. So she's writing a book which teaches helping us understand how light speaks to us. Anyway, let's carry on with the poem for a second and maybe we'll work that puzzle out as we go. So this barely enough light, the very dim light, it teaches and spells out. And this other light, which is the one that the, the way a curtain open at night lets in neon or moon or a car's hasty glance, that one pierces. But then we've got so many mornings to learn, i.e. light is teaching us lessons, light is spelling things out for us, light is helping us see and understand the world in new and interesting ways. And we've got so many mornings to learn so we are learning. We are the we are the student, and light is the teacher. Some when the day is rung from damp grey skies, and rooms come on for breakfast in the town you are leaving early. So even though you're going about your busy life, there's still opportunities for learning from light. For example, the way a waste ground weeps glass tears at the end of a street. I think the whole the whole thing has got a slightly um, downbeat quality, hasn't it? Even the sort of so many mornings to learn, but that's not that thought isn't taken any further to like oh I learnt this or I did this. It's like the options there. That's what happens. Do you know what I mean? We we're talking about busy old sun earlier on, weren't we? Um, you know the sun. The sun comes in, fills the the. You know, that's something you can do with a bright dawn, a bright morning sunlight. You can learn if you want. But this whole thing about leaving a town early and seeing the lights coming on for breakfast in the houses yeah. is quite an alienated image, isn't it? Because it's it's, it's damp grey skies mm -hmm. and you're somehow leaving early and you're just seeing these... It's quite a betch kind of image, isn't it? The, the little the lights coming on in the, in the houses for breakfast as you leave. Yeah. And then, again, not a very upbeat image at the end, the way a waste ground weeps glass tears on the end of a street but i particularly like that because i mean i don't think they're i mean obviously it's a, 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 a what's the word a platitude a, a a a communism a something which is pretty obvious but um after the war there were all these bomb sites and stuff but i mean even when we were growing up there were waste grounds and there were like there was always like broken glass in the waste grounds, wasn't it? That was like a f feature of a waste ground. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't know that one sort of sees waste grounds so often today. Maybe there's like more health and safety, and they have to put big fences around them or something like that. I don't know, but that sort of it sort of it just brought back a memory to Maybe me. Maybe you just spend less time peeling back corrugated iron and sque squeezing <laughs> through little you know holes these days. <laughs> That may well be true as well. Yes, you're right. Okay, carry on. Some fluent, hmm. some some of the light is fluent, showing you how the trees in the square think in birds telepathise, the way the waiter balances light in his hands, the coins in his pockets silver, and a young bell shines in its white tower, ready to tell. So those are really vivid and clear because it's daylight. You're in the at the height of the day. You can really see these things clearly and the light is speaking to you fluently. Is that what she's saying? 
Although there's still this mysterious image about how the trees telepathise and they think in birds. How the trees in the square think in birds, telepathise. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a... I mean, there's a, probably a word for this in, in Greek literary criticism. The trees think in birds. Is it meta something? Oh, no, I think what it is Not is metaphor. that the, tree, the trees are like brains. What's and metanoia? The, and, and the birds are the thoughts that are jumping from tree to tree, like leaping between the synapses of the branches. Mm. Yeah, they're, that's right. They're, they're thinking in birds, and they're and the, yeah. and and the and the little the little firing electrical shocks between the mm. synapses of the brain mm. are the birds, which are that's right. the, the the thoughts contained within the big brain of the tree. That's the exact midway point of the poem. Yeah, and it's when things are at the most clear and sort of yeah. um, positive, isn't it? Yeah. Um, although I'm a bit confused by the waiter balancing light in his hands and the young bell shines in its white tower, ready to tell. But apart from that, and obviously the, so the word fluent is used there, but every other, and telepathize, which it's a strange formation of that word, isn't it? But it's mm. uh, speaking, you know, understanding without having to speak, I suppose. Yeah, um, but all the others are generally kind of there's some sort of confusion or obfuscation or whatever to do mm. with with the other sort of synonyms for speaking that are used. Um, so stuttering, and even flatters in the last stanza, yeah. as if you can't quite trust the communication um, of yeah. the light. Let's keep going towards the end. The, the waiter balances light in his hands. I wonder if that's drinks. I wonder if he's got a tray of beers. You know, or, for or, sure, it's or, a picturesque image, isn't it, of yeah. a waiter? But again, the, the, she's only she's not seeing the drinks; she's just seeing the light and the sort of mm -hmm. spark, the sparkling, dancing light in his hands mm -hmm. that's balancing this tray of light. Because obviously, everything is to the human eye, everything is just made of light. Everything's just light reflected, isn't it? So it doesn't almost matter what he's holding. What she's seeing is the reflected light that he's balancing in his hands. The coins in his pocket, silver. Yeah, the young bell shining in its white tower. But they're very distinctive, very specific, very visual, aren't they? So they, a young bell, a white tower. I don't know anything about a young bell shines in its white tower. I mean, I don't know. Let's think uh, Castile, 1540. There would have been young bells shining in white towers. I don't yeah, know any maybe, around here. Maybe she's just um, on holiday in Greece. Anyway, even a saucer of rain in a garden at evening speaks to the eye. So that's again what you're saying there, David. It's much, much less vivid somehow image. I love little fires from allotments, undressing oh. in veils of mauve smoke as you walk home onto the muted lamps, perplexed. That's great stuff. I mean, yeah. the perplexed has got... I don't want to keep coming back to this Mersey Beat revelation that I've had today, but um, Mersey Sound revelation. But again, it's that's an image of... Uh, a very recognisable, ordinary urban experience. You know, yeah. the little fires on the allotments, for sure. Undressing in veils of mauve smoke, beautifully put, as you walk home under the muted lamps, perplexed. And she does that in the first stanza, doesn't she? When she talks about, like, pierces, perplexed. You know, it's the existential, which is actually what they... Their own Cree de Coeur was, wasn't it? Of the, the Mersey Sound, the existential poet. Oh yeah. Is this poem more more actually about language than it is about light? How do you mean? Um, well, is the whole thing actually a metaphor? So every reference she's making to light is actually about how we communicate, really, or don't communicate, or miscommunicate, or misunderstand. 
in in some way no i think i think that theme is definitely in there yeah expand <laughs> with evidence <laughs> <laughs> uh, well the, okay i'll just go to so the last stanza and at midnight a candle next to the wine slurs its soft wax flatters uh, the candle is soft and sort of has a kind of gives off a kind of gentle well yeah as she puts it flattering romantic light as is the yeah. as is its sort of purpose but it's that's when someone's speaking to you in a way which is deliberately slightly misleading sort of flattering for their, perhaps their own their own ends um but other times you feel like people are communicating with you absolutely on your level you totally get it there's a sort of revelation revelatory uh, quality to that middle stanza for example we might not know what it means but there's a sort of beautifully clear tinkly kind of feeling to the the young bell shines in its white tower ready to tell but is there, hang on, just sorry, 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 leap in for a second. Is there some, I mean, maybe I'm just overthinking this and, and pushing pushing this a bit too far. But we've got these two mouths in stanza one making this meaningless O. So there's a, there's a, there's a romantic liaison happening. Um, there's also this car's hasty glance, like they're being sort of spied on. They're being looked at, this couple, and paints for a moment someone you love. And that, but that's piercing in some way. That's a, that's a, there's something piercing, piercing the heart or piercing the conscience, maybe. Then in the morning, they've scarpered. They're leaving early, and there's this sadness. They're, 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 they're what's the word? Um, projecting this sadness. The waste ground isn't sparkling. It's not gleaming. It's weeping, glass tears. So there's a sort of a pathetic fallacy is that what it's called there there's a sense of like this the, the environment reflecting back their own emotions this sadness and then and then the the young bell ready to tell what tell what does that mean tell to inform on them like there's a liaison here that's maybe not not legit and then in the evening they're walking back perplexed and then back to the back to midnight the candle the wine the soft flattering light the shadows circling the table, that there's some sort of, you know, darkness attendant to this. Yeah, well, there's a suggestion sometimes that you don't want too much light. The first stanza, yeah. things are kind of spoiled, aren't they? There's a kind of, the, the words are unnecessary. Um, they, they're spelt out by the gestures instead. And then when the curtain opens, there's a, the, there's a kind of moment is spoiled somewhat. The atmosphere is kind of yep. ruined in some way pierced and what does it mean at the end the last stanza because I feel like there's something to unpick here at, and at midnight a candle next to the wine slurs its soft wax flatters okay so we understand that as you said it's a flattering light that they these this these maybe that's still this couple they're 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 looking at each other over the candle and it's a flattering light shadows circle the table either that's the two people moving around the table or that's just what the candle is doing the person you're looking at across the table their shadow is kind of dancing on the wall behind them the sense of being circled by your own two shadows but this line the way all faces blur to dreams of themselves held, Great line. In, held in the eyes 
as that's the penultimate line, the, the way all faces blur to dreams of themselves, head held in the eyes. So the face you're looking at is just becomes a dream of itself. Yeah, and eventually hold, becomes a kind and, of unreliable memory. Yeah, it blurs because the light is so dim and that you're, yeah, you're holding in your eyes, not the actual person, but the dream of this person. Yeah, but it's not your dream of them, it's their own dream of them. Well, so no, 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 not necessarily. <clears throat> Well, I mean, the last stanza is 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 definitely um, you know everyone's getting a bit a bit boozed up on the Van Rouge, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and that's what what happens at the end of a a Van Rougey evening. Um, you know, people become in a way more lost in themselves to some extent. You know, the way all faces blur to dreams of themselves held in the eyes. You're looking at them, but she, you know, you, everyone's getting a bit bevved up in this last stanza one sad thing about today well i say sad it's obviously a wonderful thing um people don't like matches in houses anymore back in the day matches were being lit all the time i bought a box of matches just today why on earth did you do that david that's a good question it was it was basically on the shopping list, so I bought them. <laughs> what, are they, what are we using for? I don't know. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm sure that was stand up. I just court. obediently, <laughs> just obediently <laughs> went along with buying them. Yeah, uh, we occasionally okay. have to light the, one of the hobs on the oven doesn't yeah. doesn't ignite yeah. by itself. Yeah, but um, back in the days when everyone smoked, and um, I imagine if she lived with um, the leading Mersey Beat poet in 1971, I'm guessing everyone smoked. Um, yeah, but that was a feature of, of the old days. People constantly lighting matches. That's how I read that 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 line. Then there's a sort of um, abrupt memento mori. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the last line, the the flare of another match, the way everything dies, feels really bleak. Yeah, I think the, the, that's the the, 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 the sudden light. Yeah. Is is somehow prompting this death thought, this death speculation, this moment of pessimism or bleakness. I mean, but the thing is, how do you end a poem about the grammar of light? Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you, you're interpreting the world through all these moments, as you rightly said, Bob. Everything you know we see, and presumably, therefore, a lot of what we're thinking and perceiving is is is, is these sort of. Um, you know, reflections of light in some way, the grammar of light that she's talking about in this poem. And then a light, I mean, a, a flare of a match as well is is quite a um, a striking, uh, again, I want a better word than metaphor, but I suppose metaphor for life, isn't it? You know, it, it lights, it, it, it burns big and then it just... It's a great, out. it's a great sort of slightly dramatic vivid image isn't it kind of visual image yeah. uh, someone in the dark striking a match and lighting up their own face yeah uh, just, I actually just, like, just temporarily I actually yeah. like this poem a lot more now we've talked about it when yeah. I was reading it I was because I think as you were saying that the, the first stanzas were quite cryptic and difficult and then you've got this sort of strange syntax and word placement particularly in stanza three with telepathize at the end of that uh, yeah. sentence and she's, she's not making it easy for us I must but, say but um but actually, there's a lot in this poem, isn't there? A lot of um, of a reflection on 
Well, I, I say existential, existentialism, isn't it? You know, there's nothing else in this poem other than the direct emotional experience and the the world that they are perceiving. Yeah. There's something. There's something. Um... It's kind of an existentialist classic. It's, it's a very, there's feel like a real sense of sort of fatalistic romance about it, a doomed romance. Yes, yeah, for sure. It's definitely got a romantic under. Mate, David, what are you saying about language there, mate? Because I feel like there's something more to this than the meets the eye. What's your, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? I'm mm, just wondering if we've been approaching it from the point of view of she's trying to find different ways of explaining what light is, whereas is she actually using light as a way of explaining what? language is or communication is uh that's that's kind of it yeah because grammar is 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 got just as much weight of as light mm. in the title how would that how would that work so let's let's just say if we we replace the concept of light with the concept of communication with just enough communication to find a mouth you know well the- it's different people trying to communicate in different ways with varying degrees of success, reliability, um, different motives. And so, you know, the shy stars go stuttering on. That That's a personification of that those type of people who are struggling somehow to mm-hmm. say what they need to say. And, and then you could, I suppose, at a push, take each of the individual examples of light which are all kind of personified really aren't they as different sort of modes or methods of communication through the through the course of a day which i suppose is probably the actually the course of a life the course of a lifespan hence the uh hence the ending but i don't think she wants there's not a you know right that's it we've got it sort of this isn't that sort of poem is it uh yeah i can think of other slightly similar maybe slightly earlier poems that do slightly different slightly similar things with with um yeah kind of extended metaphor that you want this is sort of a, a series of images that you're supposed to find interesting um but never really fully get to grips with cool mm. thanks for the exam tip it was a really yeah, that's a cop-out way of saying I'm not, I don't think we're ever going to get to the bottom of it. No, but I think you have introduced um, a, 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 another dimension to it, which I think is, 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 is absolutely right and is there, isn't it? Because, you know, you're talking about it being about communication and stuff. And there, there are these sort of themes, themes throughout this poem of, of slight alienation and loneliness and ambiguity about the, 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 the romance, such as it is, that, that, that seems to be in the background. Um, just one um, thing from me, in the, at the end of the third stanza, because I think this is something you, you mentioned a while ago, Robin or David, the young bell shines in its white tower ready to tell. And I think you said tell what? But I've got a feeling that tell is one of those words that's got, um, when you look it up in the dictionary, it's got, you know, tell and it's got sort of two or three or however many meanings. Oh, and yeah, it's it got... means ring, doesn't it? Is it a bell ringing? Oh, does it? Oh, yeah, maybe. Archaic, yeah. poetic mm. meaning. Um, oh, just a toll. Good yeah. point. I don't know. I'm going to look it up right now because... Well, in, it works in, beautifully in, just because it is a, it is another synonym for for speak, isn't it? Yeah. Which she yeah. Uses, of yeah. which she uses many. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't... Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of... Oh, because we've got... You're right. We've got stutter, stuttering, slurring... Yeah, there's mute, muted lamps as well. 
muted lamps. Not, yeah, not so speaking you're, at all. You're, you're, you're right. We got tell, telepathize, uh, weep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, light is a yeah. The grammar of light, it's uh, it has its own. What did you say? Well, structural constraints. It can only tell you so much. Yeah. Nice. All yeah. right. Wow. Okay. Okay. Listen, if you're still with us, my friend, <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, because um, that that was uh, a great poem. Um, yeah. But some some uh, uh, we had some struggles a little bit there um, in getting to grips with it. But I think it was worth the effort, chaps. Um, guys, we're going to move on to our second poem. Is that all right with you guys now? Yeah, I'm scared of that one. Yeah, let's move on. Absolutely. Quickly. Wintering. All day, slow funerals have ploughed the rain. We've done again that trick we have of turning love to pain. Grey fades to black, the stars begin their lies, nothing to lose. I wear a shroud of cold beneath my clothes. Night clenches in its fist, the moon a stone, I wish it thrown. I clutch the small stiff body of my phone. Dawn mocks me with the gibberish of birds. I hear your words. They play inside my head like broken chords. The garden tenses, lies face down, bereaved, has wept its leaves. The Latin names of plants blur like belief. I walk on ice. It grimaces, then breaks all my mistakes are frozen in the tight lock of my face. Bare trees hold out their arms, beseech, entreat, cannot forget. The clouds sag with the burden of their weight. The wind screams at the house, bitter, betrayed. The sky is flayed, the moon a fingernail, bitten and frayed. Another night, the smuggling in of snow, you come and go, your footprints like a love letter below. Then something shifts elsewhere and out of sight, a hidden freight that morning brings in on a tide of light. The soil grows hesitant, it blurts in green, so what has been translates to what will be certain, unseen. As pain turns back again to love like this, your flower kiss, and winter thaws and melts, cannot resist. Wintering by Caroline Duffy. All day, slow funerals have ploughed the rain. We've done again that trick we have of turning love to pain. Grey fades to black. The stars begin their lies, nothing to lose. I wear a shroud of cold beneath my clothes. Night clenches, in its fist the moon, a stone. I wish it thrown. I clutch the small, stiff body of my phone. Dawn mocks me with a gibberish of birds. I hear your words. They play inside my head like broken chords. The garden tenses. Lies face down, bereaved, has wept its leaves. 
the Latin names of plants blur like belief. I walk on ice. It grimaces, then breaks. All my mistakes are frozen in the tight lock of my face. Bare trees hold out their arms, beseech, entreat, cannot forget. The clouds sag with the burden of their weight. The wind screams at the house, bitter, betrayed. The sky is flayed, the moon a fingernail, bitten and frayed. Another night, the smuggling in of snow. You come and go, your footprints like a love letter below. Then something shifts, elsewhere and out of sight. A hidden freight that morning brings in on a tide of light. The soil grows hesitant, it blurts in green. So what has been translate to what will be, certain, unseen. As pain turns back again to love, like this, your flower kiss. And winter thaws and melts, cannot resist. Wintering. It's not a very cheery opening. No, I mean it's the breakup. It's the breakup and makeup, isn't it? This told in the metaphor of a seasonal change, and the the spring of the lover returning, the partner returning. Yeah, is it the same partner there, or is it someone else? Oh no, perhaps you're right. Slow funerals have ploughed the rain. I believe that Carol Ann Duffy set up a prize called the Ted Hughes Prize. Really? Ploughed the rain just seems very Ted Hughesy. All day slow funerals have ploughed the rain. We've done again. That trick we have of turning love to pain. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> yeah, that's so world weary, isn't it? That's so. Uh, that's so knowing. That's such self knowledge, isn't it? We've done again that trick we have of turning love to pain. Mm. It's so cyclical. It's so they've been through this cycle before. I can't remember um, which one it is. I think there's a there's a Duffy poem in which he describes grief as love in reverse, but it might be love as grief in reverse. Actually, thinking about it, mm-hmm. um, which is, seems quite similar. Yeah, uh, to what she's saying here. Grey fades to black. So it was already grey, but now it's black. The stars begin their lies. Nothing to lose. I wear a shroud of cold beneath my clothes. So a cold, i.e. that you can't shake off, that clothes can't fix, an unshakable cold. So cold that is coming from you, not from the weather. That she, that she herself, or the eye of the poem anyway, is 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 consumed by winter but also inherently cold the a cold that the clothes can't fix a shroud of cold beneath my clothes so it's blackness and coldness it's a sort of negation of love of warmth of light of promise and the stars begin their lies night clenches in its fist the moon a stone I wish it thrown. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a sort of suspension, isn't there? Uh, that yeah. seems to me to be what you're saying about winter and wintering. I mean, wintering as a verb yeah, uh, is like, well, it makes me think of, of like hibernation, kind of hunkering down. 
Well, yep. no, you, can, you, you can also Resting. winter in you can, you can winter in Aspen, Colorado, can't you? You can yeah, winter absolutely, in, but, du yeah, in Dubai. Yeah, you, know, you can winter somewhere. But in um, you might yeah, it's more likely that you'd say summering somewhere, whereas wintering has implications of the opposite. Like rather than kind of travel and adventure yeah. and discovery and pleasure, and it feels like a kind of self protection and um, sort of uh, conserving energy yeah and yeah sort of uh, uh, withstanding the worst that nature and life can throw at you and there's a lot of stuff to do with suspending things things that might just break into something worse um like the ice and the clouds sagging with the burden of their weight yeah uh so yeah i mean it feels obviously extremely personal i don't know yeah. it definitely is Autobiographical, but there's an I and there's a U who yeah. seems to have gone away. I, I, I clutch the small, stiff body of my phone is one mm. of my favourite lines in all poetry. I have yeah, decided. Oh, it's dead because it's not going to ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, nice. it's, it's, it's a corpse in her hands because he or she, the, the, the U of the poem, is, is, not, is not ringing anymore. But she's clutching it like a like a talisman of a relationship that's gone that's gone itself, you know, to night, to coldness, to death. Um, that whole stanza, in fact, night clenches in its fist the moon, a stone. I wish it thrown. I clutch the small stiff body of my phone, is phenomenal. Yeah. Night clenches in its fist the moon, a stone. I wish it thrown. Yeah. And she wants, and she wants this communication from the phone. But then dawn mocks me with a gibberish of birds. I hear your words; they play inside my head like broken chords. So, it's this fragmented memories that she's replaying inside her head. But it's all broken. The music's all fucked up. Oh, there you go. That's my first fuck of the <laughs> podcast. Let's hope somebody had that in the sweepstakes. <laughs> So that's 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 the first part of the poem. I don't know if you're the way you guys have got it there, but I've got an asterisk between this and the next stanza. Well, yeah, that's I was going to say. That, in, so it's structured in threes, isn't it? The whole thing. There's yeah, the triplets yeah, yeah. or tersets, tersets if yeah. not actual triplets, in terms of the stanza forms. So three lines, in of which the middle one in each case is much shorter. Yeah, um, and it's very con very deliberately. The whole thing is structured in three parts. Yeah, it's ten, four, ten. Uh, four stanzas each, the, the... because of the yeah the asterisk separating the fourth from the fifth, and then the um, whatever it is the sixth from the seventh, seventh from the eighth, rather. Um, so yeah, sort of three part three part structure of which the final one does seem to move us out of the cold and darkness of the of the early or of most of the poem um, and she does say yeah at the end your flower kiss as pain turns back again to love like this your flower kiss and winter thaws and melts cannot resist yeah that's, that's her that's her need for love isn't it the winter thawing the, the kiss melts her back okay. into forget into forgiveness and reconciliation and love it's irresistible because it's a transmutation in the in, in stanza one 
Tercet one, the trans the transfiguration of, of love into pain. But then at the end there the the spring arrives, the soil grows hesitant, it blurts in green. So what has been translate to what will be certain unseen as pain turns back again to love like this your flower kiss and winter thaws and melts cannot resist yeah so basically they've had an argument but you know it will be all right ish i feel like it's a bit more than that <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a cycle isn't it it's a cycle of the seasons the seasons of their relationship as it, it goes into winter as as all relationships do, you know, they they come and go, don't they? They they ebb and flow. They they, they you do have to overwinter in a long relationship as you argue and cool and you know make up and rewarm and reestablish and reconnect and so on. You know, that's the that's what she, I think that's what she's talking about. But also the subjective despair of the situation, how ghastly it is. You know. Uh, I walk on ice, it grimaces, then breaks. All my mistakes are frozen in the tight lock of my face. It's um, To me, it feels strong. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just because it's a more dramatic sort of an easy to characterise emotion, but it seems stronger to me in the first two blocks than in the third. Yeah. Yeah, I'd quite like it to stop after Bitten and Frayed. Uh, even though that leaves us in a dark place, it seems uh, it seems more powerful. The like wind him. screams at the house, bitter betrayed. The sky is flayed. The moon of fingernail, bitten and frayed. But then, yeah, this huge um, volta. I mean, even if it ended on below, another night, the smuggling in of snow. You come and go, your footprints like a love letter below. But no, but we're already back into 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 forgiveness, aren't we? Yeah, I like it. Sort of, I like it. It's positive. You like it? Yeah, I like it. I like. I like. I like the sweetness ultimately of it. You know, and but also the. You know, it, it's all set up by this by this rather sardonic opening stanza. We've done again that trick we have of turning love to pain. Mm-hmm. You know that trick we have. It's a. It's it's a bit, as I say it's sort of full of full of self knowledge that isn't it and it's full of knowledge of the sort of certain certainties of being in a relationship, that, you. You, that you're going to experience hurt, you know, and and that we might be more inclusive than just these two, you know, that we mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. that trick we have of turning love to pain, is something we just do, and it will happen again, you know. That that's why this is this, the the metaphor of the seasons is so appropriate, because you spring comes and spring is wonderful, and you do you know the daffodils come through, they you know the soil blurts in green. And suddenly something is, you know, spring comes creeping in, but with the certain certainty that winter will come like clockwork nine months later, you know. Blurts, uh, blurts is good, actually, isn't it? Uh, yeah, going, blurts, going back to those, in uh, green is fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, from the previous poem, the synonyms for for speaking and communicating. There's a few, there's a little bit of a parallel here. There's a few other things going on here that are slightly similar. But, yeah, blurts, like, uh, can't stop yourself. Um, what else would you? What else would you say is a similarity? Um, I just there was some other sort of light uh, and kind of well personification sort of references weren't there between um, sort of human relationships and uh, nature, natural 
Yeah, yeah the, we, we had the, we had the birds tele, telepathizing. And yeah, that was it. The, the gibberish birds, of birds. The yeah. gibberish of birds. That's a common one. Which is the opposite, I suppose. Uh, yeah, kind of um, nonsense and impossible to understand. Yeah, it's like Babel, isn't it? Um, it's uh, it's. I think it's got the same sense of the doomed relationship here. It's more on the surface, but I could detect it in the previous one. Um, It feels like she would be hard work to be in a relationship with. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, Do you uh, think she left this on the pillow of her partner? Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. I mean, there's something, there's something really funny. I think there's something really funny about I clutch the small stiff body of my phone. It's so it's so it's an image with such pathos in it. Do you think it's hyperbolic? I mean, do you think it's I, like? I it's not she, though, is it? Because the tone of this is all I quite think serious. She, I think she knows the drama of that image. Okay. And how I prefer that? And and how pathetic she is in that moment, and she's owning it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and also the fact that she's calling it that trick we have. That there's something absurd about love. There's something absurd about human relationships. That they have to put themselves through this process, through this mm. death and rebirth. But there's something sweet about the rebirth. You know, the rebirth, the winter thaws and melts, cannot resist because of this flower kiss, you know. Um, and not to be too uh, salacious, but f flower kiss has a slightly sapphic vibe to it in my opinion um, okay wow as as pain turns back again to love like this your flower kiss and winter thaws and melts cannot resist yeah yeah i mean obviously the flower kiss is spring but even so there's a sort of meaning double meaning there maybe um i think the ending's really lovely i have to say i think it's really really it's melancholy and it's full of self-knowledge and it seems it seems to me kind of grown up and beautiful. Perhaps you could have this read at your second wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, shall we move on, boys? Mm -hmm. yeah, I like that one. Um, actually, Bob, I don't think you've got... Oh, I have because I've sent it to you. Okay. Yeah, I don't uh... So I'll read it and then David, and then we'll see where we're, we're at with it. So this one, listener, is another Carol Ann Duffy poem. It's from um, Sincerity, which is her 2018 collection. When did she, did she stop being the Poet Laureate? Was it, when did Armitage take over? 2019. 2019, 2019 yeah. It's a 10-year so cycle these days now, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't seem to have that same... I mean, it's quite nice that it's a 10-year cycle because, obviously, you know, more people get a crack, but, um, yeah, you don't have that. It's not a no, so no, no, no one in the near future is going to beat um, Tennyson's record. No. OK, right. Well, this next one is, uh, for those of you who actually possess a first edition hardback copy of Sincerity, like myself, it's on I, page I, three. I, I, I think incidentally it's probably worth pointing out that we have completely neglected the first nearly two decades of uh, Caroline Duffy's poetic output here. We started in 1993. Yeah, um, but it feels worse with Caroline Duffy because she's 
she's such a obviously a massive. You know, it's only one decade, Miss. Figure of of no, she, her first, her first, her first literature collection is nineteen seventy four. Yeah. But I mean, we're inevitably going to do that with all of the poets we do, aren't we? Yeah, yeah we're only no, reading no. three poems. Yeah. But I mean, I know what you mean. It's like she's got this huge body of work, and we might be in a way yeah. overlooking a lot of her best poetry. But you know, no doubt, we can only yeah. do what we can do. No. Um, okay, I'm going to ring my gong, and we'll go to um, we'll go to this poem, which she did include in her sort of swan song as poet laureate. So we have to at least have that in mind. Dark school. It is late when you enter the classroom, the last of the Latin words going out on the board. You take your place at the back, dip your first real pen into blue-black ink. Your jotter is dusty pink. You rule a margin, one inch wide, then write what you must not do, but did in a careful, legible list. You memorise this, stand up, Recite it word for word to the shadowy desks. The tall windows, guilt-ridden, fill with night. But you can see in this blurred air your carved initials, soft scars on the wood. And when you open the lid of your desk, there are your books, conditioned fair, your difficult lessons. Dark school. You learn now the black paintings in their charred frames, the old wars, the voiceless speeches in the library, the fixed equations, ab in vito. Above the glass roof of the chemistry lab, insolent, truant stars squander their light. Dark school. It is late when you enter the classroom. The last of the Latin words going out on the board. You take your place at the back. Dip your first real pen into blue-black ink. Your jotter is dusty pink. You rule a margin, one inch wide, then write what you must not do, but did, in a careful, legible list. You memorise this, stand up, recite it word for word to the shadowy desks, the tall windows, guilt-ridden, fill with night. But you can see in this blurred air your carved initials, soft scars on the wood, and when you open the lid of your desk, there are your books, condition, fair, your difficult lessons. Dark school. You learn now the black paintings in their charred frames, the old wars, the voiceless speeches in the library, the fixed equations, ab in vito. Above the glass roof of the chemistry lab, insolent, truant stars squander their light. I, I didn't know which poem to choose, to be honest. I quite liked a few in this. But that one just stuck in my mind. And I will be honest, um, what we're probably going to try to do is figure it out. Um, because there's a lot of mystery and a lot of um, obviously deliberately cryptic um, things that happen in this poem. But... Um, and and maybe you know uh, there will be in the future, um, not from us because we don't know enough about a biography, but there will be biographical interpretations. But I just liked this poem because 
I liked the imagery. I liked the ending. I liked the. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's a slightly Dickensian feel. I mean, I suppose it's a grammar school in the what was she born in fifty five? So we're talking sixty six, sixty seven, sixty eight. I suppose late sixties. Her first real pen, but it's you know we don't know how autobiographical it is, but it's got that vibe. But it's a kind of. It's a it's a it's a like a tone pattern of a memory rather than a specific memory. That's what I think. That's why I chose her. Mm. Is, she in is she in detention? Um, that's why it's dark, and that's why you write a careful, legible list of what you must not do but did. Oh, so it's like Bart Simpson writing five <laughs> yeah. days is not too long exactly. to wait for a handgun. And, and, the, and the tall window, the tall, the tall windows are guilt-ridden, and at the end, the. The stars are insolent, truant stars. That's a great point. Yeah, this is a sort of metaphorical detention, isn't it? A kind of, okay, you've got to wait behind after school and think about what you've done. Yeah. Uh, in your life. Reflect on where you might have gone wrong. She mentioned something about mistakes in the other poem, didn't she? Sort of uh, the, all your mistakes, kind of carrying your mistakes around with you in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of that here. There is definitely, just as an extra note, not that, as I've said, I'm not familiar with lots of Duffy's poetry, but I do know that she's she has written quite a few poems, or there's a bit of a recurring theme of her school days uh, that she has revisited a few times. Sometimes, sometimes really quite explicitly about certain teachers, for example, that had a, an impact on her. All right. Um, so, yeah, it feels like she's never that far away from revisiting the formative years and uh, mm. yeah the way that they've uh, the way that they've uh, affected her in various different ways uh, she chooses the second person here though interestingly not the first person yeah yes that's interesting you're right but maybe maybe that's because the you is the is the memory version of herself yes I would say that's definitely it Yes, the young, the yeah. young Caroline. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 former me, the former me is a you, you know. Um. I mean, I did not. Um, I mean, you you both made brilliant points. I think, if I may say, uh, Rob, the detention makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and then David, you said that um, it's kind of like uh, a bit of a metaphor for looking back on one's life. Is that right? You said. Yeah, I'd say so. So it's sort of literally, isn't it? Kind of it, it, looking back at her school days, how one can't ever completely escape them. Um, but also, yeah, like she's obviously not young anymore when she when she's written this. Yeah, and there's a feeling of she's being somehow kept back after school by her alone. Uh, with nothing else to do other than kind of categorise the uh, the the decisions that she's made and the mistakes that she's made and the it's, things it, that she should and shouldn't have done. It's funny that there's no one else there. Yeah. It's a very lonely poem, isn't it? Yeah. You know, for a school memory, there's no, no there's nobody else. Yeah. It's just her on her own in the in the in in this in this classroom. 
but that that seems to work well because and with the use of the second person as well talking to this this younger version of herself you know and that that sense of loneliness and and, and albeit maybe it is set with a kind of a narrative frame of a detention but that idea of you know yeah I mean, actually, I suppose, sorry, just briefly, just it may be it, the other option, of course, is that is that this isn't the memory of a of, of a of a of a naughty kid going to detention. It's a really, really um, assiduous learner learning after school when everyone else is buggered off. And maybe <laughs> maybe maybe they're the insolent, truant stars who are squandering their light. So that so that the other kids, you know, she's the only one who's creeping back into the library to memorise the rules. It's really fascinating that we've chosen this, considering the other one had uh, the stars were shy and stuttering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is is like the exact opposite. Almost almost the complete exact opposite. Uh, Yes, squandered their light. I like to to read it like a beat thing at the end, rather than that that, that those kids in the the last line are other kids. It's more like, here I am in Stafford Girls' School, um, and I'm learning Latin, and possibly I'm in detention, or possibly I'm swatting. Either way, yeah. I'm in yeah. this big classroom. You know, you can imagine it's all heavy wood, isn't it? That's the oh, vibe yeah. I get from it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Is a de- de- definitely a sort of Dickensian vibe to it. Yeah, but above the glass roof of the chemistry lab, insolent truant stars squander there. It's like the whole. It's. It, 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 what do you call those books that are about when you growing up as a teenager? Is it not 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 um Roman Clef? There's a German word for it. What's Bild- those books? Bildungsroman. Bildungsroman. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like a Bildungsroman in miniature, isn't it? Because you know, I mean, right, help me out here, Rob in particular, but maybe uh mm-hmm. it's open to both of you for sure. Um what what films end with the character walking off into a new I mean Lucky Jim does it doesn't it as a novel at the end of Lucky Jim he's in this what did you what was the phrase you used earlier on to define grammar structural limitations or something yeah, yeah. where people walk out at the end into this sort of new new universe um and he he he, he does the end of Lucky Jim but I mean in those kind of buildings roman kind of tales people sort of leave the sort of um relatively you know by nature hidebound conditions of their education and, and, and early youth and then they sort of go off into something more exciting bright lights big city i mean in in this case is literally bright lights isn't it because she's in this darkened room but elsewhere you know like auden's reindeers moving very fast elsewhere truant stars squander their light you know what i mean insolent i.e. 60s revolutionary. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's exactly it. I think that's exactly it, that she's in there being a SWAT. Yeah. And she's learning all this old stuff, like the black paintings in their charred frames, charred by time, presumably, the old wars and the voiceless speech. I think voiceless speeches means that she's reading speeches rather than hearing them. You know, these were once vital speeches given by, you know, Abraham Lincoln or, you know... Winston Churchill, whomever, but but it also it also evokes powerfully the sense of what libraries used to be like. Yeah, where, true. Where yeah. people in libraries only ever spoke yeah. like this. What does ab in veto mean? Um, against I, against your will. 
Ah, the fixed equations, which you're learning, all these things you're learning against your will. Yeah, including, Meanwhile, including above the glass roof of the chemistry lab, super sexy, exciting, insolent, truant <laughs> stars are squandering their light, mm. as opposed to your light, which is being, which is barely illuminating the dark school. I still want films or novels or poems that have this same ending. Um, do you ever see Summer Hours? Ever seen what? Summer Hours. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful movie. Where the, it ends with kids climbing the wall of the garden and escaping out of the lovely French country house as the incredible string band plays. <laughs> so, well, right. Well, oh, oh my God, God. <laughs> that sounds spot on. What's it called? <laughs> it's called Summer Hours, an Oliver Summer... movie. Yeah, it's got to say, what's the name of it? Juliet Bonosian. Uh, right. Right. Oh, wow. Can I go with the, the ultimate detention film? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Breakfast Club. Can, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I go with what's, yeah, his, what's say, his name? Judd, Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Punching Nelson the air thank in, you. Punching in, the air in, in, a, a, uh, uh, in a freeze frame. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll allow that. Um, suffice it to say that um, that yeah, I think we're we're kind of getting somewhere with this. It's late when you enter the classroom. The last of the Latin words going out on the board, but going out on the board suggests they're being written by the teacher, don't doesn't it? There's there's somebody there writing them you take your place at the back so maybe there are other kids but, but going out is in as in sort of being extinguished yeah maybe feeding or going away. out being being or being written out your yeah but this could also this could also head. be a time reference couldn't yeah. it like that play the um the browning version do you know what i mean she's in this dickensian school learning latin grammar in 1967 yeah. Yes, yes. The, the 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 last of the Latin words are going out on the board. We, you know, and she's writing this, by the way, today. Yeah. So she she she's aware that this was a sort of a the end of the end of Latin being taught in schools. Yeah. The end of an era to some point, yeah. um, or dip certainly your, a, a transition point of an era. Dip your first real pen into blue black ink is a very 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 specific image, isn't it? Of, of both in the in the fact it was her first real pen, but also the blue black ink. Hmm. Uh, it's a mixed it's a mixed pot. But I don't uh, think the poem would work at all as well without that because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it, it gives it a poignancy is, and yeah, immediacy. And, it, and and then your jotter is dusty pink gives it again the immediacy, but also the color it gives it a very visual quality, doesn't it? Your jotter is dusty pink. We can really see that. The micro detail, if you rule a margin one inch wide, then write what you must not do but did in a careful, legible list. You memorise this, stand up, recite it word for word to the shadowy desk. So it is more of a detention, isn't it? Yeah. The tall windows guilt-ridden fill with night. That's a great... That's so locking. I was going to say, it's high windows, isn't it? Beyond the, the, the air... I was going to say that's the, got to be. Blue I mean, air. she's obviously going to. That, that, it's not an illusion exactly, but it's it's in the background, isn't it? Mm. High windows. That's brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah. And fill with night. I mean, so perfect, so evocative. Um, she likes air, Duffy. I've noticed reading. The poems in this book today there's a lot of written in air it's scraped in air here we've got blurred air yeah so can we can we arrive at a conclusion in terms of how she feels about this at the end it's a little bit unclear isn't it 
But you can see oh, I think there's a sense of mystery attached to it. I think it's a reflection on her own um, schooling. Um, I think it's also a reflection on um, uh, the changing times. I mean, I cannot, mm. but you know, that that last the last two lines to me, or the last one line, in fact. Um, you know, there's actually I tell you what, there's a great bit in. Um, have you read Hitch Twenty Two, um, Christopher Hitchens' autobiography? No. Mate, I cannot believe you haven't read that. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, but there is a really splendid bit. I mean, I imagine totally contrived because I've got slightly mixed feelings about um, you know Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. Of course, he became a polemicist and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, in America, um, you know, which puts me in mind of. Um, Stuart Lee's line about uh, Jeremy Clarkson, isn't it? About how it's amazing that he has these strong opinions every week <laughs> for money. <laughs> um, and I think there, there, there was a touch about that. But I, I, won't, I won't run, obviously, a brilliant man like Christopher Hitchens uh, down. And his autobiography is brilliant. But there's a really lovely um, set piece in his autobiography where he is at school, um, a school a bit like this, a grammar school or a, a, boys, a boys' a public school. And they have this, and I think the year is like 1966 or something. And they have this um, this band come and play out on the lawns, and then like the local youths from not not from his public school all sort of come, and they all end up playing rock and roll. And like, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm doing it a massive disservice because this is like a huge sort of multi-page set piece in the novel but it's it's used to sort of exemplify the spirit of the times sort of thing of like the sort of the democratization and the sort of um pop culture of the 60s and and, and the interplay with more established elite culture yeah um and i think so i think it it does that as well so it's called dark school because it's a it's a mystery but it was it was also this intense like kind of frightening experience uh very scholarly um, the black paintings in their charred frames, the old wars, and then this this bigger universe beyond. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling now. <laughs> Somebody else jump in. <laughs> um, I mean, the other possibility here is that is that we're looking at a um, some of this. Some of this. It feels. It feels like the subjective experience of a memory or dream but in particular a memory like she's trying to summon it yeah and she's dictating her memory almost you know taking dictation from her memory almost you know and and getting these vivid images that flash up but so so you know your jotter is dusty pink your first real pen blue black ink you rem she's remembering these very detailed things but also when you recite it word for word a moment later the desks are just shadowy uh, and the blur, you, but you can see in this blurred air. Why is the air blurred? Again, it feels like the blur is one of, of, of a, you know, almost like she's, you know, like she's almost like gone into trance and is trying to kind of go back in time to this moment, to this this experience. But I think that's absolutely right. But it's still blurry, and your carved initials are soft scars on the wood. She can remember these details of her desk, and when you open the lid of your desk, there are your books. Condition fair, your difficult lessons, but the school is still dark. The dark school, which is how she remembers it, but how it also is in this memory, mm. and 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 these kind of quite abstract thoughts. The black paintings in their charred frames. I don't think the frames are charred. They're not burnt, are they? But they're old, and that's how they feel. They feel like <clears throat> ashes. They feel like a, you know, like a, um, 
ch charcoal, you know. The old wars, the voiceless, voiceless speeches in the memory and fixed equations. But there, above the glass roof of the chemistry lab, are these insolent, truant stars. I mean, the stars have to be pupils, don't they? To be truant. Yeah. The stars have to be what? The pupils, you know, other other people. There's something. There's a there's a personification there. For stars to be truant, I know truant can refer to anything, but in this context of a school and a class, potentially in detention, the idea no, that the stars. No, no, no. <coughs> well, are I, 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 I don't know about that because I think truant it just means not here, doesn't it? So it's like they they they. they Somewhere, yeah, but but, but also... somewhere else, there is a, a, a universe that's not stuck in this tall-windowed classroom. She, yeah. She's definitely interested in the considering the possibility of how things might have turned out if she hadn't been bookish and yeah, uh, you know, good girl. The, the, the... I, don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a it's a, a, a third conditional if she hadn't been. I mean, she obviously wasn't bookish in the sense that she ran off with bloody Adrian Henry. At 16. <laughs> well, no, but um, that's that that's, she was that's a really interesting because point because yeah, but she definitely other poems that I know of uh, look back at her school days in a kind of you know sort of acknowledging that she was. She kind of did the right thing. Well, uh, I mean, I think it's was. worth pointing out to, to, I mean, that she went to university in, was she born in 55, 65, yep. 75? So she went to university in the early 70s, first half of the 1970s. I believe the statistic is something like 5% of the UK population went to university in the first half of the 1970s. Right. And of that 5%, I imagine that women were not a half no. of that 5%. So she was a... She was a, a scholar for sure. Yeah, but then, but then found a, a different sort of um, way of expressing herself for for at least a, a, a while. Um, I feel like there's a there's a yeah there's she's considering the two different sides of herself as a, as a young woman. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. Which there is another of her poems that looks back at her school days. I can't remember what it's called, but it's one of you know when they used to do the the school photographs. Uh, like the oh, massive yeah. long where you'd have to literally just kind of it was like a they'd sort of film it the, the camera would have to go all the way along from one end to the other and you could do that thing where you if you were on one end you could jump down run along the back and join the other yes. end and then be in the photograph twice yes and she described she's that's the the thing that she evokes and it's clearly something to do with her sort of divided self and there's sort of two different versions of herself that she that she remembers the good girl and the slightly more um yeah the adrian henry liverpool beat yeah version of herself as well shacking up with a 39 year old beat poet yeah <laughs> yeah it's not it's not uh yeah it, it's not what those grammar school teachers would have advised is it <laughs> it's, not what they, it's not what they wanted and this is a very recent poem isn't it yeah mm. yeah yeah Gentlemen, I'm going to ring the gong and we're going to have some... Um, I mean, I'm not going to call them final reflections because obviously we're, you know, we're dipping into what is a, a large body of work and a significant canon of, of work uh, that's been written du during our own lifetimes. Uh, but just some, uh, I think what we'll call provisional, provisional reflections. I'll jump in and say, 
that, uh, you know, as we often say, one's ignorance is obviously on, on show for such listeners as, 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 as there may be. I mean, I do feel with her that, that um, you know, she's someone of our own. She's not of our own generation because she's that generation before us. Obviously, we weren't knocking around in Liverpool in 1971. But in terms of her poetic art and her technique... Um, I love everything about it. You know, I love, I love the the freedom, the the the, the high concentration on on imagery, and the existentialism of it. I'm going to say, she's an existential poet, and I dig her. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like of all the poem poets we've done, this may be the one that we've um, covered the least. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Fact, the idols of the king is pretty big. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Are we, um, yeah, I think these poems are really interesting. I think they're really, really interesting, and I, 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 I found them a little bit, um, in, in, not impenetrable, but a little bit mysterious, a little bit cryptic, um, but fun to fun to chew on and fun to grapple with. And I don't, I don't feel like at any point we kind of smashed the surface of the ice and really broke through with any of them particularly, but really lovely. I really like the middle one. I think it's really, really sweet and, and beautiful. But all three of them, really, really great poems, you know. I, I would like to have written those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I, I, now I've got this book in my hands. Um, I will continue reading it, I think. Um, very interesting. I can see why she was the Poet Laureate for 10 years. Yeah, far out. Mm. David? Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe we haven't seized on the absolute best of Caroline Duffy uh, with these with these poems as, as interesting as they all are obviously I feel, I feel like I've been blown away more by other poems that I've read of hers um, well I, I picked mine I, I picked mine absolutely um, out of the hand yeah I mean it was pretty, uh, pretty uh, three minutes I mean. before we started recording yeah. so it was absolutely an ill-considered yeah. choice I mean they're all they're all probably good. doing they're her a disservice they're all really interesting in their own way I mean she's, she's clearly there's something I really like about the, the way that she thinks about herself and her in that lot I think I think the last one was my favorite there's a there's something really interesting there about your uh, an, an older person reflecting on their their younger self that's really yep. profound do you want to very quickly hear the poem on the next page in uh, sincerity it's a really short one it's called elephants when i was small i saw the circus ele elephants on blackpool sands a slow line of extraordinary sadness. An elephant holds more anguish than a man. We should not see them except where they choose to be, in their grey empathies, their bulked knowledge. They walk on song, gravity's grave clergy. They are perfect for the earth, its emigrant distances, its pooled waters. If the gods were to gaze at this world, they would hazard elephants. Gravity's grave clergy. I mean, mm. there you go. That's how you become Poet Laureate. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, really though, yeah. Well, um, we certainly don't presume, um, Carol Ann Duffy, that you're listening to this, although if you are, <laughs> thanks for the poetry. <laughs> um, but we do thank our listeners, of course. Um, it's at this point, characteristically, that I spring on the boys an unexpected section uh, that they're never <laughs> expecting <laughs> called Recommendation Station which we've stolen from the Jesselnick and Rosenthal Vanity Project, which is another good podcast you could check out. Um, I'm going to say that I've read a book this week. Ooh! 
Thank you. That's the come on. That's a reaction. That's Let's hear it. To, uh, you're going to be quite surprised um, when I tell you this book. I read Mini Driver's Autobiography, which is called <laughs> you, Managing you, Expectations. You what? I know you're going to be surprised by that. Yeah. Um, Start. I'm startled. Yeah. Yeah. In um, so many ways, I didn't know there was a Mini Driver autobiography. I'm surprised that you have sought it out and read it. So what, what's, sounds, what's good about that? It? Sounds like it, it. I mean, that sounds like a book due to become much remaindered. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, many... yeah, one can be one can be snarky. <laughs> one can be snarky about anything. Um, I would say this: that it's um, very nicely written, and she is almost a direct contemporary of ours. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, I would recommend it. Uh, I would recommend it to anybody who uh, who wants a fun read. Guys, and, what have you been and, and knows who Mini Driver is. <laughs> I hope Mini Driver is um, not listening. I, I, I if you are listening, Mini Driver, I liked your book a lot. I, w I won't recommend a book since I don't think I've read one. Written one. I've written one. Uh, read one since uh, our last pod. Uh, I did, however, last night watch the um, highly well-reviewed and much-nominated film, The Banshees of Inner Sharon, the Martin McDonough film, uh, which I can confirm alongside all the reviewers in the world is extremely good. Yeah. And well worth watching. Um, okay, yeah. And the, other yeah. and the other film I've watched this week is uh, the Korean Best Picture nominee for every, uh, you know, awards body this year, uh, which is Decision to Leave, which was also extremely good. That's from the director of Old Boy, amongst other things, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and so on, um, Chen Wook Park, which was a fantastic film. Two top movie recommendations. Thanks, Rob. David? Well, you've read a book this week. I've read a book today. <laughs> oh, oh, Trump. Was it by any chance um, Crime Min and Punishment? <laughs> nope. It was very short. Wait, was, it, was, it mini, was it Mini Drivers Autobiography? <laughs> it wasn't even Mini Drivers Autobiography. Uh, well, a little bit like with the... Um, I always forget what it's called, but the film you just mentioned, the, the, the Banshee one. Was it Do Grey Scott sort of? <laughs> <laughs> it was Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan, um, which oh, yeah. is absolutely. I, I bought that. I, I bought that for Kerry at Christmas. Yeah, well, it's, it's yeah. Everyone's uh, yeah. I'm just jumping on a bandwagon here because everybody agrees yeah. it's brilliant. Uh, yeah. But I can confirm it is brilliant. And if you want, I mean, it is. It was such a perfect thing to read on a Sunday afternoon because you can literally read it in one go. Everyone, you know, you, when you read things saying, yo, I read this in one sitting, and you think, what? How did you possibly do that? That'd be ridiculous. Uh, but this you can read in one sitting. I mean, actually, I didn't read it in one sitting because I had to go to the shop to buy Guinness and cat food. But um, I nearly read it in one sitting. And it's, it's beautiful and um, powerful, and it's, sort of, it's connected to the, the, the Magdalene uh, laundries in, uh, you know, that scandal oh, yeah. in, in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a whole thing connected to so that's kind of the, the main sort of thrust of it and there's a really fascinating central character uh, who sort of connects the what he discovers about that to his own origins and it's just yeah perfect and compelling and short and brief and yeah. I, I can see I can see it from where I'm sitting it's mm. stashed between the Franzen book and Elizabeth Strout book it's it's working its way up Kerry's pile to near the top. Well, I think David, you've you've helped to uh, help to clear something up about um, British publishing law, L O R E, which is when it says, "I read it in one sitting." 
what it actually means is I read it in one sitting, apart from the bit where I went out to buy Guinness and Cap. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, joining me on today's pod. Um, it remains only for me to thank you, listener. Um, and also for me to remind everyone that if they want to get in cont- co- uh, contact with us, like Alan did from Toronto earlier on, uh, you can contact us at poetrypodcats at gmail.com or follow us or contact us at twi- on Twitter at poetrypodcats. That's p- podcats like the feline animal you might have in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Listener, I hope that the, the green blurts soon uh, wherever you are thank you again and I hope you'll join us next time on Versify the Poetry and English Literature Podcast fuck fuck <laughs>